And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend David Rutz from the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, it's always a great time talking to David. And uh, you guys know what we talked about. Uh, you know the drill. You know exactly what we talked about today. Kamala Harris, uh, the junior senator from California, is officially Joe Biden's running mate. Uh, we broke that all down, talked about what it all means. And uh, let's be honest, we also uh, eulogized the 2020 college football season. Uh, rest in peace. Yikes, that one hurts. Um, before I get to David, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved with the show, you can hit us up over on Patreon. You can support us monthly over there, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with David Rutz. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with David Rutz from the Washington Free Beacon. David, my friend, how you doing? Good, Brady. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. So, as always, we got a ton to get to. Let's jump right into it. Joe Biden has selected California Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. David, here we go. Your initial thoughts. Uh, not a surprise. Uh, you know, that she was definitely top of the, the betting market to be follow those things for the last couple of months, and uh, she, she checks a lot of the the Democratic boxes, and it is it is a historic pick. She's the first black woman to ever be on a presidential ticket, so it's it's a big or a major presidential ticket, so it's a big deal on that front. Uh, and she already showed some fundraising pop. I think they raised like ten or eleven million dollars yesterday after they raised like two and a half the day before that. So definitely already seeing the the money impact of her. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, as, as we've always seen with running mates, I think it'll it'll draw headlines and column inches for a couple of days, and then we'll get back to the. The, the real dynamics of the race, which is Trump and coronavirus. I still think that's all that really matters here. And Biden's more just a, a placeholder candidate. Right. And obviously there's a ton of different angles to break down here. But first of all, I just want to admit that I'm just horrible at predicting these things. Like, I'm just so wrong <laughs> about so many of these things. I actually was shocked by this. 24 hours ago, I was 100% positive Biden was going to pick Susan Rice. <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's what I said on the podcast on Monday. I'm, of course, once again, I look like a moron. Um, but I mean, look, Harris called him a racist during the primaries. You know, she she said that she believed Joe Biden's sexual assault accusers. So, I mean, look, I guess it really tells you something about Kamala Harris as a person that she's gladly joining the ticket of a racist segregationist rapist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I understand the 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 instinct to doubt conventional wisdom because the CW pick for for a long time was Kamala Harris. And I was like telling people, I know it's going to be Kamala. And then as usual, I started to doubt myself. And I was like texting with a friend, like maybe he will pick Susan Rice. And I was like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. Cause Susan Rice has got all these foreign policy things that are around her neck. She's, um, she's got no political experience whatsoever. She's, uh, it's, that'd be a lot of Obama administration to, to once again, relitigate on one ticket. So I think he was smart to pick Kamala over her. If those really were her, his two final picks, uh, I mean, Kamala Harris has a lot of drawbacks too, but I think Susan Rice honestly would have been would have been much worse. 
Yeah, definitely. For, for him. So look, man, first of all, I'm I'm a partisan, obviously. I have an agenda. You know, I want to defeat the left in every single election from here to kingdom come, all the way down from dog catcher all the way up to president, right? So <laughs> I'm excited to take on Kamala Harris these next 80-something days. Like, I'm actually excited. It's like the entire right has all turned into comfortably smug over on Twitter or something like that, <laughs> right? Like, I'm excited because, look, and I'm, I'm not to sound harsh here, but dementia is no one's fault, right? <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's no fun to attack Joe Biden for being in obvious mental decline. It's, it's of no fault of his own. But Kamala Harris... She chose to start her political career by sleeping with the then married mayor of San Francisco, California. I mean, she chose to do that. She chose to endorse the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. She chose to race bait and support Jesse Smollett, which is hilarious. All of her tweets supporting Jesse Smollett are still up, by, by the way. Twitter, just the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, she chose, she chose to say, essentially, that if you're a Christian who believes the Bible, you're unfit to be a federal judge. She chose to smear Brett Kavanaugh for no reason. I mean, she, she, she chose to be a, a crooked, corrupt politician over the last two and a half decades. So there's a lot of material to break down, and I feel much more comfortable attacking her than just constantly attacking Joe Biden for his mental state. Yeah, there's a ton to attack her on. I've noticed the talking point that's popped a couple of talking points that popped up in the media in the last 24 hours one of them which we can get to later is every single attack on kamala harris is probably going to be racist and sexist and they want to just go ahead and and just diminish any criticism of her on, on that identity politics front but the second one is uh, and i want to bring people's attention to this line from politico uh they, they said that harris quote deftly hops between the democratic party shifting tectonic plates which is politico ease hmm. or she's a flip-flopping opportunity who will do whatever she needs to do to be in the middle of the party at any given time. That is, and, just, just real quick, sorry to cut you off, that is just an incredible headline. I mean, I, it, I, it's, it's a stem from a story, but it's still, it's just like the kind of like journalism ease where they, and with a Republican, they call them a flip-flopping opportunist, and for Kamala, definitely hops between, I mean, it's absurd. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's one way of putting it, but one of the talking points that also has come out is the fact that the Trump campaign Republicans can't land on a line of attack against her. And I thought, well, isn't that because there's a lot of different ways you can attack her? Because she yes. has been phony. She had four different health care plans last year. She called Biden essentially a racist and then said that he's like a champion of racial justice. Uh, she couldn't um, she couldn't get out of her own way on the campaign trail. She was this promising opponent and she was out three months before Iowa. So on a lot of different fronts, she has a lot of different weaknesses. So in a way, it kind of makes sense that there's not one cohesive message yet as to how to um, how to criticize her from the right. Right. But of course, the media is turning that into a detriment to the Trump campaign. But I mean, we're used to that at this point. Yeah, I mean, there is a, a ton of the attacks from the right over the last, you know, whatever, 18 hours, however long it's been, have been just a blunderbuss of all over the place. But but it's all fair. I mean, you can go after on the, the criminal justice stuff. I mean, she she was a Kamala is a cop. Hey, man, I mean, she was a, a bad prosecutor. You know, there is a lot of material to go after her on. And I, I am just looking forward, just meme-wise, there's just so much material that we all now <laughs> get to focus all firepower on Kamala Harris's Star Destroyer, uh, intellectually speaking, not physically, obviously. But uh, look, I'm, I'm just failing to see how Harris helps the Biden ticket. And tell me if I'm wrong. Like, obviously, we haven't had a lot of time to process this and kind of really look over the, the, the polling data or anything for different demographics and stuff, but like... I, I just don't know how it helps. I mean, the, the progressives, the, the hard left, they don't like her because she's a prosecutor who put 1,500 black men in jail for weed. 
right? Like you remember the Tulsi Gabbard takedown during one of the 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 primary debates. And I mean, Joe Biden, he doesn't need help with the black vote. He's going to clean up, you know, in the black community. And Republicans can't stand Harris. Okay, nobody on the right can stand Kamala Harris at all. And rightfully, we on the right view her as much more of a threat than Joe Biden. I think that's that's justifiable. So it's like, if anything, obviously, this is just my just snap reaction. I could be totally wrong. But it seems like Harris is going to fire up the Republican base much more than it's going to fire up the uh, the the Democratic base. And it's like, you know, Harris is, you know, half Jamaican. She's half black. But I mean, it's not like Biden was struggling to get the the black vote anyway. So I, I just I'm not seeing how much of a bump uh, she's really going to give Joe. I don't know. There's a couple of things that, that are at work here, and they kind of contradict themselves. But I, I look at it in, in a couple of different ways. One of them is Democrats have not won on the presidential ticket with an all white ticket since uh, 1996. Um, they lost in 2000, 2004 with all white. T- tickets and in 2016 and of course Barack Obama was the first black president he won in 2008-2012 and in 8 and 12 black turnout was 65 and 66 percent respectively 2004 and 2016 it was 60 and 50 percent and one of the reasons that Donald Trump won in 2016 uh, there's obviously people are always coming up with reasons why he won and there's lots of different factors but one of the major ones was depressed black turnout in cities like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Detroit, Michigan, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And of course, we know that Trump won those states narrowly. And a higher black vote in those cities could have made the difference and won it for Hillary if they'd been more excited to vote for her. So I think Democrats are making on the fact that black voters will be excited about having a woman of color on the ticket, and that will increase turnout. And I can see the logic there. Uh, that being said, Kamala Harris didn't appeal to black voters in 2016. They voted for Biden. Or excuse me, 2020. They didn't. They, they, Kamala Harris was out in December for a reason. She couldn't get any. She couldn't. Uh, her campaign didn't gain traction. And there is this kind of mistake in media. It's kind of lazy punditry that, oh look, it's a black person. Blacks are going to vote for them. Oh, it's a woman. Women are going to vote for them. That's not necessarily tr- true. So she's going to have to show. Um, she, she's going to have to show some more talent on the campaign trail beyond just uh, her identity on on, um, on that front. And of course, there's also the concern that she. If she's too out in front, like you said, uh, Republicans really dislike her. Conservatives really strongly dislike her. And, of course, there's all this talk about Biden might be a one-term president if he wins, and this is now she's the heir apparent. And if they turn it into a Trump versus Harris race, that could be very helpful for Trump because she's a divisive and uh, polarizing person, uh, more, more so than I think Joe Biden is. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're right there. And then there's there's always the, the question of just what impact generally do— Will will this VP pick make and and typically the running mate doesn't really matter at all. But I, I actually don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, even in 2016, uh, it it mattered to me quite a bit. I mean, Mike Pence made it a lot easier for me to vote for Trump. You know, I was not a fan of Trump. Obviously, just the the giant question marks around his his candidacy. You know, like it, we're just not living in normal times. You know, like Mike Pence really did calm my nerves a little bit when I stepped into the voting booth. Like, you know, truly, uh, that that did make a big difference. And I've heard that from a lot of conservatives. And uh, I mean, we've never had a a nominee from a major political party who's clearly suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it is. You know, I'm not a physician. Uh, And so we've never had a candidate like Joe Biden, just like we've never had a candidate like Donald Trump four years ago. So it's like, I don't know. I, I do think that these the you know, this pick 
for better or for worse, I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but I do think this will matter more than normal. I don't think like the, the VP debate, like obviously Harris and Pence will, will have a debate at some point in October and nobody will watch it because nobody cares about the, the VP debates. So I don't, I'm, I don't mean that will matter, but I, I do think that this pick is a lot more consequential than, uh, than it typically would be. I, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt Biden, but I do think it will do one of those two. A lot more, uh, I, than, not, I, a lot more I, than it normally would. I, I still stand by the fact that, again, this race will be about the, the, the principles of the economy, coronavirus, and a referendum on Donald Trump. And right. Biden, I think, is more or less not particularly relevant. Um, to, uh, it's, it's been, a, I guess that's a referendum on Trump. Uh, I don't get into the, the armchair health punditry on, on Joe Biden. I think he's definitely, um, cognitively, certainly there's some decline there about I won't I won't speculate beyond that but I completely agree with you that yes because of the concerns about his age and I mean yeah he would be he'll be by far the oldest president ever if he wins um that the the, the running mate pick takes on outsized importance and so yeah I actually I think that in a, in a, in a race where you know the if you believe the polls and you know I, I tend to think that they kind of give you a good snapshot of what's going on in the country they consistently show Biden with a you know a pretty steady lead it's not humongous Trump can easily come back and Trump can still win there's no question about that um but in terms of potentially kind of resetting the race to his advantage and running kind of against her uh i think it could be an advantage that her star shining um and her high profile and that combined with biden's age and vulnerabilities uh could be a could be a boon to trump uh i generally think running mates can't win you a race they could help you lose them a little bit Uh, that's kind of how i look at harris yeah yeah definitely i think that's that's probably right it's just such a so many question marks around this, you know, we're, we're not living in, <laughs> we, we kind of used to, there used to be a formula. You get a little bit of a bump, you know, when you select your running mate, you get a little bit of a bump at the convention. Obviously nobody's getting a bump from these, these digital conventions. There's going to be a normal boring speech from a house somewhere on both sides. <laughs> you know, so it's just none of these things that typically matter are going to matter. So it's, I don't know, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. And we will have to wait and see how this plays out without watching College football <laughs> this year. How's that for a transition, David? Uh, but look, I I, I don't uh, think we're going to get any college football this year. I think it's over. The Big Ten has canceled their season. They're saying they hope to play in the spring. The Pac-12 followed suit. Smaller conferences like the MAC also canceled their fall seasons. Uh, you're an SEC guy, obviously, down in Georgia. The SEC is saying they're going to push forward. We'll see. Um, I don't know, man. This this bums me out. This sucks. I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't know what else to say. It hurts. Uh, I got nothing good to say about it. I think the Big Ten's making a mistake. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's cowardly, and I think their players obviously want to do it. And I yep. think there's a way that you could, you could create the environment, or should have been taking the time in the last few months to create the environment where this was possible. It would be difficult, obviously, the logistics of an entire football team and the nature of the sport itself. Of course, all the close contact and you know blocking and tackling and whatnot. That, that, it's not baseball. It's it's different. But I think the fact that I don't know. I just I sense this eagerness among a lot of people too to like see these things canceled and kind of keep everybody miserable, which is uh, frustrating. And uh, I hope the SEC holds strong and we still have a season because and I, I know the Big Ten, I know you Midwestern folks like your college football, but you know SEC, it's 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 a way of life down here. And the idea of not having SEC football season is like insane to me. Uh, but I think it's definitely more likely now that other conferences have um, have decided to uh, to pack it in, but. Um, if they do, then I don't understand why they play in the spring. If we have our season in the fall and other power conferences do too, how do you determine a national champion? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I mean, I, playing oh, in the spring, 
playing in the spring just seems dangerous to me. You know what I mean? Especially like, you know, think about the guys who are going to be drafted into the NFL. It's like you play a full season in the spring and then immediately jump into an NFL training camp and then an NFL season. Like that's like these you're going to get these young men killed. Like you can't just play you can't play tackle football for a solid year like straight yeah. without a break. I mean that doesn't seem safe to me, but like the thing is it's so disappointing because there's no scientific reason to cancel the college football season. I mean what's a safer situation for these young athletes regarding COVID? Like send them home to do whatever they want or isolate them in a world-class facility with the best doctors money can buy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, if you send these kids home, I mean, they're much more likely to get coronavirus at the bar than they are at Ohio State's world-class training facility. It's just, it's nonsense. No, it is. I mean, you got dorms open, you got campuses opening for class and whatnot, but, you know, God forbid we have athletes, you know, go and, um, yeah, go and, like you said, practice and play in a, in a hopefully controlled environment. Now, again, like... The problem, of course, is, again, it's the sheer size of the teams and the vulnerability. It just takes a couple of guys. I mean, it's college. You know how it is. You want to go out. You want to go see your friends and party and go to bars and all that kind of stuff. And it just takes one or two players to introduce COVID to the locker room, and then you could have, like, an outbreak. And it's not like MLB where, oh, oh, you can postpone a game or two. I mean, every college football game is, you know, 10% of the season. So there are definitely going to be some problems there. But I guess just to not even see them try and – see him pack it in and, and not have a plan in place to, to make it even feasible. It's, it's disappointing. I mean, I'm not surprised. Like I said, I right. was talking before we started, I never thought we'd have a football season at all, but to get this close and then for them to kind of bail at this point, is a kind of a bit of a tease. Right. And look, the NFL just needs to step up and start putting games on Saturdays. You know, just, just, they, they need to step up and be the heroes that the country needs right now. Just <laughs> just have the NFL. You know, they already do Monday night, they do Thursday night, and then and Sunday, obviously. But they need to put, you know, two games every Saturday, 1 p.m. in prime time. Hey, NFL, you want to win over everybody? Step up. Be, be the heroes we need. Put football on Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, they, they want to stick it to President Trump. They could have someone kneeling every day from Thursday to Monday. <laughs> Oh man! And you know the Nets will show. Oh, absolutely! I, I I'm here for it, man. I don't I don't care. I just love football. I don't care if people. I don't care either. I don't care about the culture war stuff. I just want football. I want football on Saturday and Sunday. I'm really hoping the NFL uh, bails us out and 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 saves our weekends. Yeah, I'm. I'm. These folks who kind of burgeoning. This is a right wing thing too. Unfortunately, people are like, I'm never watching football again because someone kneeled for the anthem. I'm like, you might not be that big an NFL fan then, because I mean, I don't <laughs> care. I just like to watch football. Well, if wanna, they want to express their politics in their own goofy, dumb way, fine. Yeah, who cares? I mean, just tune in at 105, not 1. You know, well, they, also, they... it just shows a lack of it's – this, it's like this, you know, there's this guy, this is a popular journalist on Twitter who noted that uh, when he writes a tweet that angers uh, liberals, he gets a lot of people unfollowing him. And he doesn't notice that same thing when he has a tweet that angers conservatives. And so I feel like conservatives are used to, you know, expressing disagreement and having their opinions challenged and whatnot. So to see people on the right – you know, kind of pull that same kind of childish stunt when like, oh, someone kneeled during the national anthem. I'm never watching again. I'm like, eh, well, that's kind of, a, I think it's kind of babyish. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that uh, they're probably not real fans anyway. <laughs> I, get, I get being offended by it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't like it either. I think it's, I, I, I don't actually like the gesture particularly, but, uh, you know, I'm also for freedom of speech. And if you want to express yourself that way, then go ahead. It's, it's just really hard to offend me, generally. I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just too. my, I'm an Ohioan, man. Maybe it's just my 
disposition towards the world. It's just it's tough to get under my skin. It's a, but it's for, forbearance is a great quality. If more people had it, we'd all be a lot better off. Absolutely. So uh, one more thing uh, before I let you go. Obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're probably not going to get much, if any, college football, but we are getting an NFL season. You are from Georgia. You're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Uh, how are you feeling about your team this year? What's your prediction? Uh, well, I really wasn't excited about us bringing back Dan Quinn for, for whatever reason he was retained for another season. That so. guy's got nine lives, man. He sure does. I don't really get it. Uh, he's a nice guy. I, uh, but ever since he blew the Super Bowl, it's uh, my faith in him has uh, plummeted. So uh, I'll say, let's see, we went seven and nine the last two years. Uh, uh, offense looks good. Defense looks like a liability. I'll say we'll go nine and seven and squeeze into the playoffs. Succeed. Nice, nice. Now, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility by any means. I mean, Matt Ryan's still a beast. Still Julio Jones. No, he's good enough. He can win us a bunch of games. Uh, and I think that we have the ability to to do it against that conference. I'm. I'm looking forward to going against Tom Brady twice a year. That'll be fun. That conference is, yeah, man. I mean, the Saints are still the Saints. You know, they were, what, like 12-4 and four last year or whatever? Yeah, and then Tom Brady. Uh, third, oof, and then the, Bucks are, the Bucks are sneaky good, actually. They've got a good team. And Bruce Arians is Bruce Arians is a great coach. He's probably the best coach. Well, Sean Payne's better. But Arians is a good coach. They've got a good offense. They don't have that idiot Jameis Winston anymore, which, and obviously, I mean, I think Tom Brady is, you know, he's obviously well, well past his prime but he's still tom brady so we got a bunch of good teams there so i bet you get three teams in the playoffs out of the east out of the nfc south and uh that's my that's my smoking prediction and then there's just carolina with one good player <laughs> i mean carolina's awful but uh yeah but you know may whatever. god bless christian mccaff do you play uh fancy football oh, oh of course man so we have famously we have the the no gimmicks league the official league of the no gimmicks podcast but um you know, it's funny, man, with COVID, I, it, like coronavirus is going to throw some weird wrenches into the gears, like even during the draft. So it's like, let's say, like, obviously McCaffrey's going number one, but like if you're deciding at like number two or three or whatever between like Saquon Barkley or Zeke, and you know that Zeke already had the virus and has antibodies and is not going to get it again. It's like, does that, would would you favor a guy like Zeke knowing that he's not going to have like a minimum four game suspension for COVID or whatever when Saquon oh, might, yeah, no, you know what I mean? Like we're going to have to think about a lot of that weird stuff that we've never had to oh, think totally. about. Before. Yeah. We were, talk, we were talking my friends and I, we have to have expanded bench spots. I think we should have a special play. I, I think there should be a side bet in every league for which player is most likely to infect the entire team with coronavirus. <laughs> like remember uh, Pac-Man Jones? Like we were like, that guy would have gotten the Rona after like a day oh, yeah. when the season started and gave it everybody in the locker room. Dude, uh, so I just off the that. top of my head, off the top of my head, Cam Newton. I can totally see Cam Newton going in there and giving Bill Belichick COVID. <laughs> All right, Jameis Winston, he they, they got rid of him. That guy would have got Rona back to the entire the entire locker room easy. <laughs> uh, just throwing those Rona Rona laden interceptions all over the place. All right, last season was miserable, but the best part of the year was that the last pass he threw was a pick six to the Falcons for his 30th interception of the year. I was, I literally, I've been miserable the whole football season. I was like so happy that we got his 30th pick. I loved it. 30. And he started, I, I think there was like five games last year that he started, he threw a pick on the first drive. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. He was, yeah. My complete goodness. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for doing this, David. I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Where can everybody uh, check out the beacon and where can everybody follow you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Oh uh, yeah. Freebeacon.com and, 
find uh, at Free Beacon, and I'm at David Rutz for mostly complaining about the Atlanta Braves and occasionally politics. There you go. Everybody follow David. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Thank you.